1: I want to talk today about a topic that has been on the rise in recent years, and that is burnout. Burnout is a state of emotional, physical and mental exhaustion caused by prolonged stress and is often a result of a demanding work environment or personal life. The World Health Organization has defined burnout as a syndrome caused by chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. There are several signs and symptoms of burnout that you should be aware of, including emotional exhaustion, a feeling of detachment from work or personal relationships, and a reduced sense of personal accomplishment. Burnout can also lead to physical symptoms such as chronic fatigue, insomnia, and headaches. Other common symptoms of burnout include increased irritability. What, John? I'm irritated right now. Are you irritated, John? I am now. Awesome. Feelings of hopelessness and a loss of motivation to perform even simple tasks. Burnout is a serious issue that affects individuals from all walks of life. Whether you're a professional in a high-pressure work environment or a student juggling multiple responsibilities, it's important to recognize the symptoms and signs of burnout and the steps to present it. By prioritizing self-care and seeking help when needed, we can combat burnout and lead happier, healthier lives. And John, we'll have a bit of a chat about burnout when we get into it, but we can't do these Tuesday shows on My Millennial Money without Sharesies. So thank you, Sharesies, for helping us bring you this episode today. The Sharesies app has a feature called Auto Invest, which makes it easy to put your investing on repeat. That's what I do, rinse and repeat. Whether it's a shower and shampoo, I just rinse and I just repeat. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. You can pick the amount you want to regularly invest and Auto Invest will place the orders for you. That's a really cool feature. You can choose a pre-made Auto Invest order, or create your own DIY order from a range of companies and exchange-traded funds listed on the AU, US, or NZ share markets. If you want to use the exclusive promo code MMM to get $10 added to your account, ready to invest when you sign up to the Sharesies platform. All investing involves risks, T's and C's are fees apply. John, you ready to have a chat about burnout and all the other good stuff today? Yes, I am. All right, let's get it on. Question: Yeah.
2: What do you use shampoo for?
1: Um, I don't. It was a figure of speech. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're gonna talk about burnout, but I was just, you know, packing the dishwasher earlier. I've just had lunch. Uh, I had a bowl of Fruit Loops, and <laughs> I thought <laughs> I am packing the dishwasher.
2: All right, then, eight-year-old Glenn. Yeah,
1: I'm about to chat with John. We do this every week, and I was thinking, like can we keep doing this podcast for years or am I just bored or burned out? I don't think I burned out, but I was thinking it's really good from a personal position to do this podcast because it actually keeps me dialed into my own money and decisions. And I just want to, you know, thank you all that listen because you've dedicated maybe an hour or two each week and it really doesn't matter what we're talking about, but the fact that you're just on topic, either you're being here entertained and you keep encouraged to invest more or spend less or go towards your goals or even reassess your life and think, oh, I'm bloody burned out, something has to change. But it's kind of cool that we do get to chat about all this stuff, isn't it, John?
2: Unbelievable. Yeah. And it's very selfish from our point of view that that keeps us on track by doing this podcast. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting topic burnout because if we go back a few years before, everyone discussed things and emotions. Um, burnout was like uh, maybe a, a sign of weakness, and it's like, well, get on with it, toughen up, and and uh, and and just do your job, sort of thing. But now it's, um, yeah, it's a very different approach,
1: isn't it? Yeah, I actually saw we've got in our Slack channel with the team. I'm going to bring it up. We've got a little social channel, and someone, yeah, JK, she put, yeah, we can't. We aren't allowed to have a midlife crisis. We can't afford it. So that was one meme. Um, Midlife crisis is buying a second Nintendo Switch that is only for my husband and me. (laughs) I'm getting to a point here because it was, we've got a channel for memes. You know what? It's actually not there. I must've seen it on LinkedIn. But what it was is this process that our current lives of working 40 hours a week, it was never really designed to work 40 hours a week and then go home and do all the other stuff, whether it's kids' stuff, your activities, your household chores, because when we were hunters and gatherers, we would just chill, bit of hunting, bit of gathering, and there just was no pressure on human life like there is today, right? Well, we didn't have to go clothes shopping. Exactly. So, look, have you ever had a brush with burnout yourself?
2: Well, I don't know. I went on Shell's podcast the other day and had a bit of a yarn with her and and I think I, I don't know if necessarily we I called it burnout but it was more of a change of direction in my career. So I think it came to a point where there was I was there was lack of enjoyment or purpose there. Yeah. I don't know. What about you?
1: I think one of the biggest times I've had burnout, I remember just I mean being self-employed, I think it is easier to sometimes experience it or let it ride maybe because you don't have to call in sick, like you don't have to push through it. Like, yeah. so for times, you know, and that that's kind of what I've done to stop it happening is, you know, I might have two full weeks of recording, you might do 12 episodes of, a, you know, over a week then have a couple of weeks of not recording. Yeah. So I've just kind of managed my cadence. Um, yeah, you can reinvent yourself. Yeah, you? just so you're not go, 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 go and... Yeah, so, and we'll talk about um, in the community section of the week a little bit more about how you, the listeners, have, um, you know, got through burnout. But maybe I think Shell was saying, you know, we did an event just the other week um, with Hunter Young Professionals here in Newcastle and the question of burnout came up and it was that whole thing. It's like you've been going too hard for too long at something, And also it's maybe outside of your rhythm or skill set. Like you've just gone too hard for too long and you're just done. And it doesn't happen overnight. Like it's just not, I'm fine. Then the next day I'm burned out. So she was talking about things, you know, to prevent burnout kind of happening to start with is to make sure, and this is like chapter one of our career book, like you've really got to make sure what you're doing is in line with your values. Yeah. Because if you're doing stuff day in, day out, going so hard, you know, working seven till six, seven days a week, like you'll hit a wall eventually. And particularly if you are doing that stuff outside of what you actually value. So is it, is it the longer
2: hours or is it the imbalance of life because it's all heavily weighted towards a certain area of life?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I just think at some point you've gone too hard for too long without- In a any. certain
2: aspect of your
1: life. Yeah, because remember like when you've gone too long, too hard without any recreational activity that isn't work and you often think of like the root meanings of words and I have no idea, but when you think of recreation, if you split that up, it's like recreation, like just getting a refresh. Yes. And anyway, I just wanted to bring that to attention. There's someone out there listening, you've been going too hard, for too long. And, you know, as the WHO said, like, are you feeling a detachment from your work or personal relationships? And no amount of money in the world can fix that if you're exhausted. So just think about that, everyone. Do you feel like you can't get to sleep easy? Do you feel like you're oversleeping? Do you feel hopeless? Do you have no motivation? If you are in this prolonged state, I'd recommend maybe having a chat to your GP to see if it's something clinical in relation to depression or anything like that. Or, and I think a lot of people would know that, oh, hang on, I've just been burning the candle at both ends. And what happens when you burn the candle at both ends, John? You get your fingers burnt. <laughs> you do get your fingers burnt. But a friend said this to me the other day, the candle that burns twice as bright lasts half as long. Yes, <laughs> but but
2: uh, on a serious note, um, th- there may be a time in your work where you've just got a deadline for a, for a certain aspect, and you know that you can go hard for that period. Mm-hmm. But then post that, you can have a little bit of a breather and then uh, recalibrate again. So I, I think it's it's also that communication with the workplace as well to understand what the expectations are as, as an employee.
1: Yeah, I totally think it is that expectation management and particularly around boundaries. Mm. So no, that's all good. All right, let's get into some chatty chat chat today. Trey, hi. How long do you usually need to be in a job to take out a mortgage? I currently work part-time, also 30 hours, and the maximum I can work at my current job is 35 hours. They don't employ full-time workers. My partner also has a full-time job and a decent wage just curious to know if working part-time and only being in the job for six months will be an issue with getting a mortgage. Now, John, you actually wrote to a friend of the show, Tim Kelly, and asked him, what did Tim say to you?
2: Well, Tim Kelly said six months is generally okay, especially if it's a permanent part-time job. If it's casual, then lenders can be a little bit more picky and really depends on which bank you're dealing with as to what the answer will be. There are a bunch of factors really, so it's best to speak with Myself, Tim Kelly from
1: TNS Lending. (laughs) Oh, He got that in there, didn't he? But I think that goes to show the value of a mortgage broker. Yeah. Because it's not just about what's the cheapest rate that I can get on my mortgage. Mm. It goes one step further. It goes to what facilities do you want with that mortgage? It goes one step further. What's your personal situation regarding a a deposit, lender's mortgage insurance? Then goes one step further what's that lender like when it comes to your personal work situation and income?
2: Yeah, and I think through risk of being a keyboard warrior, Tim could have expanded a heap more than than he did. But what he would have went on to say is, well, it also depends on the industry that you're in and how long you've been in that industry. So that could be their their second or third part-time job in that same industry. So banks like that when you're staying in the industry for a period of time. Mm. Um, But also he mentioned uh, that the partner also has a full-time job. So I would be going to someone like Tim and saying, look, how much can my partner borrow from the banks and how much can we collectively borrow from the banks? So you might not even need that uh, part-time income to get it done.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you just read there, John, was probably meant more for us Um, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's he's a good guy, Tim. Uh, so yeah, Trey, if you want to jump on, um, and speak to a mortgage broker, all G. Okay. There's a question here from, uh, Janie about superannuation with seven years to go before accessing super, would you keep it at balanced or high growth? So John, when you're dealing with clients, in pre-retirement and maybe that they're late 50s and they've got some investment properties. Mm. Before we talk about the superannuation thing in terms of a property asset, like what considerations do you do with a property portfolio leading into that quote unquote retirement stopping work phase of life?
2: Yeah, so from a property perspective, regardless, this isn't a re- very relevant at all for super, but you'd be looking for more of a higher cash flow situation so that um, if you've got that cash to be able to use to pay for lifestyle choices in, in retirement. And that may mean selling down one or two to own the other two uh, outright and have some live off the rent, basically. If someone come to me and said, look, I w- John, I want to buy a property. I'm five years from retirement. I'd be very hesitant because of the 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 running costs of property as such. So it's more of a higher risk play where we're wanting to get some quick capital growth in five years. So we'd be more conservative in that approach and and just keep it low risk because we're nearing that retirement. We don't want to have to get to the stage where we bugger things up and and we're working for another 10 years.
1: But that same person when they said, oh, I want to buy a, re- a property close to retirement, are you talking with a mortgage or outright with cash? Because I think there's two different things at play there. Okay, yeah. So the,
2: there's two arguments there. One is if I've, if I've got a mortgage or a high mortgage, let's say borrowing an 80%, percent i put in 20% cash, I would be saying... Tread with caution if you're five years out from retirement. It would need to be a high cash flow property, which sometimes might stunt the growth potential. If there's someone saying, no, I don't want a mortgage, I'm just going to use all my cash for that property and live off the rent, that's okay, but is it easier to just go and put that cash somewhere else that I don't need to worry about property manager, property maintenance, all these other things? So it depends on your appetite for, for property v shares or, or, uh, or super really.
1: Yeah. And I think what I want to pick up on there is what you said around uh, maybe, and we'll use an example, someone's collected a handful of properties or three properties, for example, and there's debt on three of them. Do we sell ones that are run their course and pay off one outright? And that one that's left has a good rental yield, so a good mm-hmm. income, right? So the, the key is there when we bring it back to superannuation, that property asset even if you own it 100% outright and it's got good yield, that is a growth asset. So we haven't gone where well, we're selling down all the properties and putting them into bonds. We're keeping this growth asset that's got a good yield. If we move it back to superannuation, as you are getting into your retirement years, there may be some strategies with financial advisors with your portfolio that we set up some of your equity exposure That is still invested in shares, which is a growth asset like property, but it might be a more high yield portfolio. There might be banks in there that uh, have a history of uh, producing higher dividends. So you can see where I'm going there, John. But in terms of uh, Janie's question, I honestly think the best time to start to look at uh, your quote unquote pre retirement planning, your superannuation, is probably about five years out from that date so if the, the date is I want to stop working at age 60 on the dot well maybe we have a bit of a discussion at age 55. Now it seems like Janie's like on the ball because she's really thinking about it with seven years to go it's probably okay to get some advice now It's never too early to pick up a phone and just have a bit of a brief chat with an advisor to bounce your situation off. Now, back to her question again, in relation to balanced or high growth, let's assume that a high growth portfolio is 90% in shares, property, uh, international shares, alternate assets, and 10% in fixed interest, bonds, you know, all the stuff that doesn't have that daily volatility. And let's assume that a balanced portfolio is 70% growth and 30% defensive. Now, over a short period of time, say five years, John, you probably will find if the market does have a little bit of a a blip or a dip or whatnot, the 70-30 portfolio will probably fare better because much like compounding interest and positive returns, the more money that we've got in a high growth portfolio, like a 90% growth, the longer that it will take to recover. So, I honestly think, um, Janie, it's probably not going to move your needle too much, moving from a high growth 90 to a a 70, but I'm certainly 100%, well, I certainly believe that once you are over, say, 50 years old or 60 years old, I think there's a strong argument, John, to still have at least 50% of your wealth invested in growth assets, because that money needs to last another 20 years at least.
2: And maybe even next
1: generation. So we can't have this mindset of when we retire, that we sell down all our shares and put into the cash option in our pension account. Sure, there'll be scenarios where we might have a stronger portion of cash, maybe three years worth of income, but we do not want to have our money sitting in defensive assets for the long term. So I think it's just an interesting one to understand how these um, growth and defensive portions of a portfolio work. How much,
2: this is a real question to you, how much of this depends on A, the person, the client's risk profile and B, the, maybe the financial planner who's advising this, their risk profile because that can change a lot depending on who's in your team, can't it?
1: Yes, it can. I honestly think it goes back to the individual needing as much education as possible to really understand if I buy a hundred shares in CBA bank, that share price, and if you look at CBA over the last year or so, it's gone up $110 down to 95, like it just sits, if it goes down to 93 or $95, I still own a hundred shares. No one's actually taking the shares that I own and those 100 shares are still producing income every year. So, I honestly think it goes back to seeing an advisor and being under more of an educational attitude than getting told what you should do. So, yeah, number one, I think it does come down to personal risk profile. And a lot of personal risk profile, we fear what we don't understand. If you don't understand where your money's invested and how it works conceptually, your personality might be more fearful. Some personalities are like, oh yeah, it's all good, whatever. So I think it is that understanding. Secondly, sure, there probably is, it goes down to more of a, maybe a house view or a personality view of the financial advisor. And that's what I said. Like, I honestly think even retirees probably need to have, and you know, don't hold me to this. This is just, again, my personal view, at least 50% in growth assets and like my parents have just retired and their portfolio I believe is approximately 50 or a little bit more maybe up to 60% still in growth assets because they're not going to spend all their money in the next three years it needs to go to work so I can receive that juicy inheritance (laughs) that's right (laughs) but you know what I mean like it it just needs to keep working so it is it's an educational thing if you did move it to balanced from high growth that's all good but yeah, just start to really think about maybe some more strategic financial advice. And a lot of the time people think, oh, I don't need to go to an advisor to choose my super fund. No, but what if there's a, a legislation change about bringing forward super contributions or catch up contributions that you're not on top of? It's all more about that strategic advice. Yeah. And even to your example, John, like, yeah, we've sold some assets, we've paid down one property, we still want that one property. Can we look at the carry forward provisions and get more money into super so we can offset the tax and the capital gains in that year? So, it's there's a lot of strategy involved.
2: Yeah. And a lot of conversations with your accountant.
1: Absolutely. Um, let's just keep on property for one second and then we'll move on from property. Uh, Dean asked, to all the property fanatics any thoughts on property close to high voltage power lines and similar infrastructure? Are there any cons or does it not matter at all? Does it impact property value? It appears to potentially impact home insurance premiums. Your thoughts would be appreciated. So, John, uh, what's your view on uh, this? Because I've certainly got a a view on this.
2: Yeah, I don't think we'll... um will get cancer from from living under high-voltage power lines. I don't think there's any proof to suggest that that may be the case, which is some people's concern. From a property value point of view, the, there are definite issues. Um, the first one is aesthetically – is that a word? Aesthetically.
1: Aesthetically, yeah. Aesthetically,
2: yeah. it doesn't look that flash when you've got a dirty big power line uh, running through your backyard or, or just behind it. So that that's the first part. Um, and, and as Dean's mentioned, insurance premiums can be affected as a result of that. So when he says uh, similar infrastructure, busy roads to some extent uh, have the same issue, right? They're, aesthetically, they're not the greatest thing to be living next to or on. So it affects the desirability when we come to sell. Now, I'll go back a step and say, well, the market sentiment in the area is the market sentiment if it's a hot market it's a hot market in every one of those streets so properties will still sell but when the market's not hot and you're trying to sell one of these properties that have got a few of these issues where majority of people won't want to buy them then it's extremely hard to sell meaning that they'll have to take a a, a, dis- a discount and sometimes a heavy discount just to move that property on so yes you might be getting a bargain on something like this on the way in but you're also going to take a haircut on the way back out. So not for me. Uh, It's a no-go for me. Um, Understand that it's an inferior asset in that particular suburb.
1: Yeah, for those who live near our neck of the woods, there's a a location on Lake Macquarie and there's, you know, a few power plants around Lake Macquarie, um, you know, that burn the delicious uh, black gold and a few of them are getting shut down. But, so there's a lot of power lines around Lake Macquarie and my cousins growing up, they had a few acres at Y.E. Point mm-hmm. at the south end of Lake Macquarie. Lake Macquarie, ladies and gentlemen, it is the largest salt water lake in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, it's very lovely. I went boating on the weekend. Amongst um, the bull sharks? Pretty much. Oh man, I've got the shark out. There's always sharks in Lake Macquarie. Yes. But anyway, I didn't deter the kids from having a swim. But um, so they had a couple of acres and over their block, there were these power lines that cut up the side of the block. And when my uncle built the home at the time, he wasn't allowed to make the house bigger because of the power lines. Now, I've since understood that that has changed and you can build. And I remember like you go through like Dural and Cherrybrook, you know, Northwest Sydney, There's frigging power lines going almost over the top of houses. But always at their property, you go outside, you see these big ass dirty power lines and you hear the electricity, 25.8. I'm like, no thanks. Anyway, they've sold it. It didn't impact on the sale price and all that stuff. Um, But I'm like you, it's not for me. I actually went and had a look at a house over here around Newcastle in a town called Cahyba. And, you know, it was a nice big block, but it's frigging dirty big power lines going through the side of it. I'm like, nah, not doing it. And even like if there's no data to say it gives you cancer, one, it's a freaking eye cancer to look at. Yeah. Two, if it sounds like electricity, that's weird. And three, I don't want to be living there <laughs> if nah. possible. So.
2: And, and I think the acreage one is, is a little different um, in the sense that you've got a bit of space to – to move away from that if you need to but when you're in suburbia and it's right there as you open the back door that that's an issue for me um, another one's an interesting one not far from where you used to live Glenn is the big water tower at, oh yeah uh, at yeah. yeah yeah so that's another example of an eyesore, mm. uh, probably a little bit more plausible than a high-voltage power line. But, yeah, you've got to be careful of these things and have a look around and drive up and down the streets and talk to the locals and, and all those things to just understand uh, the values of various properties within that suburb.
1: Yeah, and that's right. Like, and realistically, that uh, big water tank, that's not doing nothing to the prices. It's not decreasing the prices around there just looks ugly. It just looks ugly. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back and
0: continue the discussion right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help.
1: Radio, we are back and we are jumping into the community segment of the week. It is brought to you by Sky Wealth. Make sure you jump on sky.com.au forward slash MMM. If you haven't got your life and income insurance assorted, you got to get it sorted, peeps. You know, if you build next to a power line and you get electrocuted for hosing your lawn one day. You want to make sure you got that life insurance, John. So sky.com.au forward slash MMM 15 minute complimentary discussion with one of their advisors and they'll point you in the right direction and show you the process of how it all works. Now, continuing on this topic of burnout, we asked the Facebook group, what do you do to prevent burnout? So we talked a lot about the symptoms and possibly the causes. Uh, so let's have a read here. Do you want to jump in there, John? So Beck says,
2: boundaries, weekly goals, e.g. eight hours of sleep a night, yoga three times a week, and meditation daily.
1: Yeah, so that's really being in the moment. And honestly, sleep, it's a free kick, everyone. It is a free kick in life. I bit my lip last night. Really? In
2: the sleep, wake up and, yeah.
1: Well, were you sad because Amy's away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, Georgina says, tears and beers. I mean, funnily, I'll tell you, So it's probably the most horrendous advice I've ever received. Tears uh, and beers. I went to a GP once. It was kind of, do you know when you're like between doctors and you're looking for a new doctor and it was around like my depressional diagnosis or depression diagnosis and the GP joked, he goes, oh, sounds like you need to go and buy a six pack. Oh, <laughs> Can't joke about that stuff. Well, he did. Um, (laughs) Do you want to read Mimi's one?
2: Mimi says, I try to learn to be okay with not being able to finish things in one go and not having to do things perfectly. Also learn that we don't need to give our 100% all day every day. When you only have 20% and you give all of that, that's okay. You still gave it your all. Very worldly advice, Mimi. Mm. What is 100%? I
1: don't know. Do you think it's a...
2: It's hard to like when you've when you think you've done your your absolute best I still think there's another level. Mm. Is that maybe the 110%?
1: <laughs> I don't know, like I'll I'll give you an example like we've got a lot going on at the moment with the podcast, few campaigns and we'll talk about them and you know these monthly webinars and our money journals are available and we're doing this help debt uh downloadable PDF we want to advertise that. Throwing all that in nicely, didn't you? Yeah, like we've got a lot going on. And just the vibe of the team and we've got two new staff members starting and we just feel like we are we just can't pause and breathe and have, just have business as usual. Mm. And I just emailed or oh, slacked JP. Uh, when did I do that? Yeah, two minutes before we press record today and I said, we need to move up our internal marketing blackout to June and July because we've got way too much going on. Yeah, And we had it, I think, blacked out for July that we won't promote anything of ours internally. Sure, we'll run the ads and all that, but we just want to breathe. Yeah, And at the moment, it feels like we are just chasing our tail every single day with all these different tasks and things. And it's not a desire that I want for me or any of the team. So for me, that is us possibly running at hundred percent. You know, we've got the federal budget coming up, you and I are going to do an extra episode. So that's time critical. So in our business, I think there's a risk of burnout with the team. If we're running on the line like this, for a prolonged period of time.
2: Yeah, totally agree. And what I've found as a business owner, I don't know if you've found the same, is everyone's max point, everyone's 100%, if we want to call it that, is different as well. So some can handle juggling a few balls in the air, others mm. can't. So understanding what their max point is before they blow up and burst.
1: Yeah, and I've always said to the team, and I've probably said it on this podcast before, like, I want to run everyone probably at 80% most of the time because there are times like the pinch that we're in at the moment, or if there's a time critical budget episode and we've got to do a social media thing, there are times where we need to pump up to 110% for a short period. Yeah, But we just can't keep doing that. And I feel it, they feel it, we're all humans. So I think, yeah, Mimi, you're right. Like we don't always need to give our hundred percent. And I would even say, if you look at the elite sports stuff that you know you're involved with, you know, the recovery and the rest is just important as the actual on the field going it. Yeah,
2: well, if not more.
1: So, Dev from the My Millennial Money Professional Podcast, he always is in the Facebook group, this guy.
2: Gets in there, doesn't he?
1: Recognition can... is critical, knowing the symptoms and signs. Unfortunately, burnout is not a diagnosis medically. Just being conscious of the syndrome goes a long way. That's interesting. So, in the sporting sense that you mentioned, mm-hmm. burnout is...
2: For a lot of athletes, chronic fatigue syndrome. Which the jury's out on that
1: medically as well, isn't it?
2: Well, yes and no. i have working with an athlete who had it over pre-season just gone in AFL circles and mm. so, well, according to them and their, prof- uh, their medical team, he definitely, that's what he had. Totally. So yeah. what Dev's saying is mentally we don't have this condition as such, but physically so, yeah. we do.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I've just heard... Numerous Mm. stuff on that chronic fatigue. And anyone who's told they've had it, well, you're living the truth that you've definitely got something up, that's for sure. Yeah.
2: Katie, start my day for myself before my employer. Avoid work chat, working outside of work hours, minimal contact with colleagues outside of work to fully recharge. Yeah, that's
1: an interesting one, Katie. I don't mind that. You know what I did, and I haven't told some of the team, um, but if they are listening to this, I unfollowed- The editors probably will be. We? Yeah, well, Nathan will definitely hear this. I unfollowed all of my team members on Facebook and social media and Instagram. Wow. Just to give them the privacy. You weren't sick of them? Well, it just makes it easier if you've got to give someone the flick, you know. <laughs> no nah, jokes. But uh, no, it was more that I just wanted to give them a bit more privacy. Sarah said, ooh. So we asked, what do you do to prevent burnout? She said, I didn't. But if you want to learn from my experience, be firm with boundaries, i.e. days and hours you work. Speak up if you aren't happy with something, whether it's big or small, and prioritize yourself and your family because you are replaceable at work, but your family needs you. Get professional help if you suffer from anxiety, depression, OCD before you reach burnout stage. Thanks, Sarah. And Joel, we'll finish with Joel. He said, live with purpose and direction give back to community and get up early, at least 60 minutes of time to myself through walking the dog, journaling or going to the gym. All right, let's get out of this segment. These uh, community segments go for a bit of time now, but I think they're good. I Love. love the commentary today. It's very good. It is good stuff. All right, thanks Sky Wealth for supporting the podcast. All right, just some housekeeping in the show. Um, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm your host, Glenn James. This is John Pigeon. He also hosts here and he hosts a podcast called My Millennial Property. We've got another webinar. We're doing monthly webinars, uh, coming up Tuesday, the 16th of May. We've got one with Rachel Croon from the team at Sphere Home Loans. She did one last month on first home buyers. We had one planned uh, for May, uh, but the person had to pull out. So Rach suggested that she does a webinar just about government grants. So all states, first home buyer assistant, first home guarantees, family home guarantees, not just for first home buyers, first home buyer choice, the land tax choice explained, regional first home buyer guarantee. What else we got here? Sorry, losing it. How to layer government grants and use both state and national offers, restrictions that come with offers. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that webinar John, she said to me that you might be doing that with her.
2: Yeah, I've actually hijacked that. Uh, Oh, is it you? I'm joining her. Uh, She's going to go into details to what the grants are and, and everything that's available to first home buyers and everyone else out there, but- Uh, I'm going to answer, obviously, anyone's questions relating to specific property and regions and whatever else, as well as chat to her about some examples, real life from a property perspective. So, just makes it a bit more interactive and- um,
1: Yeah, that's awesome. We'll get it done. So, yeah, link in the show notes, uh, all type of regional, state, federal government grants, the 16th of May, link in the show notes- Uh, There's no cost to do these webinars. We just wanted to add value with different professionals to the community. Um, And finally, just a shout out to Shell. I got two text messages yesterday, John, from Randoms, both saying they'd either got a pay rise or got a new job after reading the career book. Unreal. How good's that? It's just amazing. Like, so keep the testimonies coming. Slide into our My Millennial Money DM. Let us know your testimonies because this is why we did that book to enhance your number one asset and that's you and your career. But don't burn out. Don't burn out along the way. Okay, there was a question here I want to touch on from Sky. I'm saving for a house deposit and have been for a while now. I also have one stock investment that I don't currently invest in. I am interested in purchasing two separate stocks. However, I would need to take the money out of my house deposit Could someone please give me their opinion on how much to invest initially into a safe 95 to 10% profitable stock selection, say $2,000 to $5,000, or if it is okay to, say, invest $100 per fortnight into the stock and still benefit from the long-term profits? What are you doing there, yawny yawny? John's having a big old yawn. (laughs) Sorry for keeping you up, champion. What are you doing with this? Well, I just see that is... If you're considering taking money out of your first home savings deposit, you're not that keen on saving for your first home. Is the goal solidified that much? Like wanting to track 9.5, I mean, it just doesn't make, and I'm being dramatic and over the top sky, um, but it's always good for entertainment. Like you can't say a safe 9.5 to 10% profitable stock. There's no such thing as safe 10% return in this world. Like there's going to be volatility. And if you are doing this just to try and turbocharge your uh, first home buyer account, well, you're going to get risk. Individual stock selection, you'll pick the wrong stock, it will lose money and your first home will be kicked down the path a lot longer. So I think what you need to work out, Sky... Is how much do you want your first home? Are you financially on this planet at this moment in time to save for our first home, or do I want to be an investor and just pump equities, go to town, happy to rent and build my portfolio, or I dare say both? But what it could be is I invest superficial amounts, you know. And at the top of the episode, we talked about shares. Is as an example. We do a little bit every week into a broad-based, low-cost ETF to scratch our investing itch, but our main financial reason for living is to buy that bloody first home.
2: Yeah, I think it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Uh, that's the big ticket that Sky wants to tick off. She's been saving for quite some time. And now she's going to extract some money from that and go and uh, invest over here and hope to get a an outstanding return, uh, for what is she going to throw that back into the house deposit? Is she trying to enhance the house deposit or is it just, I want to scratch the itch and go and and invest in shares. So I think, yeah, for me, stay on track with what you're doing. Let's get you in
1: that house first Mm. and then let's get you set up once you're settled in there. Um, let's get you then investing monthly into a broad based ETF. You know, if, If you're new to this world, Sky, you'll love the story in the book about my first single stock investment and I'll do an autopsy on everything that went wrong and how I lost 50% of my money Um, and I basically, actually, I don't know if I've told you, you know how I don't buy single stocks? Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I've heard from a friend of a friend that this company here is going to go good. I'm like, all right. So I threw two grand into it or four grand or something like that. Friggin' next minute, it's down 40%, John. (laughs) And the other day, I just cracked it. I was like, stuff this, I'm out. 40% tank. I know. I just can't do this. All right, let's move on. Actually, there's a question and we'll go in probably 10 minutes, John. So, we'll we'll move through this fast. Someone asked the question when joining the Facebook group, should you be disappointed when you don't reach KPIs? It actually wasn't on the document that I prepared for you. I just saw it last minute and wanted to add it. because. I actually got a friend. He got fired the other day for not meeting his KPIs. Yep. And I just thought, oh, let's just have a bit of a chat about this. So KPIs, key performance indicators. And my mate was like, I'm so pissed off. And I think they wanted just to get rid of him anyway. But he said, I begged them for so long to (laughs) set up KPIs for me. And they did. And he didn't meet them. And then they terminated him. Wow. I'm like, dude, they didn't follow the termination process probably like that's mm. horrendous they wanted you going he goes nah they're, I'm out of there anyway like whatever that's ridiculous and it was only he said it was like they fired me for not meeting my KPIs but it was like 10% of my entire job that I didn't meet like it was wow. just so weird yeah but I mean it's like KPIs, the education
2: system putting emphasis on the end of exam yeah like Should someone be disappointed if they don't reach their KPIs? Yeah, the last 24 hours I've been reading up on some stuff. There's slightly irrelevant but stay with me on it. A professional Ironman triathlete got done with EPO in his system and banned from the sport for three years. And there's a heap of online commentary around it. Um, Other pros have come out and said, like this is rubbish, it's so unfair, this guy's won competitions when he was full of juice and blah, blah, blah. But one of them said, look, when we're racing, everyone, if you come 10th or first, other than the the medal that first place wins, we're both level because we've both tried our best. Mm. And it made me think, well, yeah, in a workplace, if you're giving absolutely all you can give – and you don't hit a KPI, as a boss, I'm okay with that. Maybe I've set the KPI too high. Mm. So it's it's understanding with the employer that first of all, you've got to be okay to not meet your KPI as long as you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I absolutely did everything in my powers to meet that KPI and it just didn't happen
1: for me. Yeah, I think there's two things Um is la as you said are the kpis ridiculous and have you met them before so for example if the kpis hadn't moved and you've met them week in week out and then there was a period of you not meeting them we well, got to ask why have you got personal stuff going on so you're not 100% present have there been an influx of harder tasks within that i think it's probably a bit more of a chat chat with your boss or employer i mean i'd be disappointed if you didn't reach them and you got fired um mm. if it was you not actually performing for whatever reason, hey, you could be burned out that's hundred percent a reason. they could have been set too high and you 've been achieving them for too long, and you now don't reach them because you 're just checked out. Yeah. so I think it's just probably more of a, a chat with your team um, and that it kind of goes back to that discussion around you know do you want to be running on hundred percent all the time or not, and it's not healthy if you are. Uh, No. So yeah, to the question, should you be disappointed when you don't reach your KPIs? Well, it depends. Finishing uh, from Greta. Hi, all. Sorry if this has been asked before. I tried to search the group, but wasn't sure if the right phrase. I currently have my savings in a savings account with the same bank as my normal accounts. I find it too tempting to pull a bit of money here and there. Amen, sister. (laughs) What do you people do to take away that temptation? Are there any bank accounts that have a delay on them? or just open a savings account with another bank and don't have a card on all the app. Well, that's exactly the way I teach in the Glen James Spending Plan, not just for savings, but for your cash hub and your bills account. So we've got all our money going into the cash hub, money coming out of that cash hub. For me, my cash hub is my offset accounts with St. George Bank. I don't have the St. George app on my phone. I don't have a St. George debit card on my person, on my phone. I transfer a weekly amount over to my Up bank account. I remove all temptation to dip my little fingers into the pie. In fact, I had a really good strong moment the other day, John, you'll be proud. Went to Sydney Tools because I was like, oh, it's Sunday afternoon and I'm bored. So I had to go to (laughs) Bunnings. (laughs) So I went to Bunnings and I got to find this drill bit didn't have it. I'm like, oh, I'll go over to Sydney tools. And it's so funny. Like I was thinking about actually talking about this and I just thought about it then, but like with our spending and using shopping or spending as a bit of a boredom buster or hobby, like that's when you lose your freaking money, right? Because I've strolled into Sydney tools next minute. <laughs> I'm in the freaking Milwaukee aisle going, yep. I need that. I need that. And yeah, that one there. And then I, I honestly was in that aisle for 20 minutes contemplating what I was going to buy.
2: <laughs> $1,000 later.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, well, if I buy this and that, or I get the kit for $1,300. So a couple of things. One, I didn't have $1,300 on me right yep. then and there. Like I would have had to Somehow log into the St. George web app and then like it's just too hard. So, I put mm. this, you know, thing in front to prevent me Stop from doing it. Yep. And then I'm like, yeah, maybe I could or... So, I was really contemplating like how do I get the money out of St. George because <laughs> I need new drills. <laughs> I really but do. But before you entered the shop, you, you had no thought about buying Oh, no, doors. not at all. No, no, it was total. And I'm like, hang on put the box down, Glenn. This is not happening. And I walked out without blowing money.
2: Well done. That's a great moment for you.
1: You've, it uh, was, you've, you've matured. I, I have a little bit. So it's just all about removing the temptation. If there is a bank out there that has a delay thing, knock yourself out. But I just think that 100% segregation of funds out of your life will yep. be the best way. I mean, have you overcome temptation, John? Uh, fortunately, I don't have those sort of temptations where
2: mm. if I'm bored or stressed, I'll go and shop.
1: You don't like dopamine, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I freaking love the stuff.
2: I'm on the weird other side of the fence that would will go for a run or something. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You've got to have that stop block and, and confuse your mind into, into not going ahead with it and having an amount in an account for that, Discretional spending for the month. And once it's gone, it's gone. You can't have access to it until you get paid again. And and there's obviously a, an element of discipline a, across it all, isn't there? You've got to have that momentum of discipline, but also knowing what you want long-term so that that's always playing in the back of your mind when you're saying, well, do I need that Milwaukee drill when I'm actually trying to save for a house deposit right now?
1: Mm. And that's it. Like What I've done is you know, read Atomic Habits and understand like the habit loop with the cues. And like, I even do this when I'm walking down the Milwaukee aisle, I'm seeing all this stuff. They're all triggers. When I'm at the supermarket, I'm looking at the Skittles. There's a trigger there for me to buy those lollies. When I, I, I did this at the IGA down at Merriweather the other day, walking down the ice cream aisle, the freezer aisle, and I'm looking at all the ice cream and I'm thinking to myself, look at all these triggers they're just there to trigger my habit loop. Mm-hmm. And I'm like- It's called M-? marketing. It's just called I'm a pig as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're strategically putting them at your eye level.
2: Well, they, it's just- They the measured
1: all, your height well, it's before just all it went cream. to-, <laughs> to all, all I'm saying, you've got to just be conscious. And for Greta, when you get the impulse to buy, are you saying that you want this item more than you want the thing that you're saving for? Yeah. And it's going to delay that purchase. All right, we'll leave it there. John from My Millennial Property, thanks for having a chat today. Been a pleasure.
0: We will talk to you soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money/charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of MoneySherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.